Recording, recording. Hello, Hello Mert. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you guys? Stop having a coffee break. We've got work to do. Welcome to another episode of Knife Making Down Under podcast. We've got our regular presenters here. We've got Mert Tansu from Tansu Knives. We've got Corin Urquhart from Gamaco and Artisan Supplies. And we've got me, Kev, from Kev's Forge. Uh, today, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into the background of one of us. So we're going to be asking Corin some questions about his knife making, his knife making background, a bit about his business and all the other stuff that comes into play over the next sort of, you know, period of time, hour, hour and a half, two hours, however long we manage to keep ourselves entertained. So Mert, how are you going mate, all right? I'm all right, man. Can't complain. We finally got some rain after that heat. Half your luck. That was, yeah, that, that was lucky, man. That was real lucky. I mean, we we were not as bad as the other areas affected by the bushfires, but it was great to see a fire. It was great to see the rain. You know, like you see in the movies, like the guy just goes under the rain, like opens arms and get rained on. You're like, that never happens. That's just bullshit. That's just a movie trick that nobody does that. I did that the other day. When it rained, I just went outside, opened my arms, and enjoyed the rain. Did you at least put underpants on? No, 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 no. <laughs> how, how much rain did you get, Mert? Oh, look, fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> I got enough, I got enough to make my car look like shit. That was yeah, it. And you've seen my car, it looks yeah. like shit. You, you can see, like, where I stood, there's, like, a little dry patch. Now, it, it rained, but... <laughs> a real little much. dry patch <laughs> we scratched the dirt after it and it was just dry as a bone underneath there wasn't yeah. enough to soak in so kind of wasn't a drought buster no and we're lucky here in canberra it, it, to one degree we haven't had the direct threat from the bushfires but man i'm glad that's the case because it everything here is just it crunches under your feet corin and i were talking about you know just seeing the amount of trees dying i've got a tree in my backyard um, well established before we bought the house 20 years ago and it was dropping leaves like it was autumn it, it's just on survival yeah. mode so yeah not great times actually and you know like so we've got to be thankful we've not really suffered any loss or anything and unfortunately there's been a number of people that have had their properties you know they've lost their properties they've lost some people have lost um, you know people they love um, and other people their businesses and their livelihoods on you know being questioned now or on hold um, so pretty disastrous thing to be going through. Yeah. Um, have you managed in that time, or have you managed any um, projects or work? Have you got stuff done? What What's happening on that note for you? Oh, look, last time we did the recording, it was around Christmas time. My wife took a time off during Christmas for two weeks, and I trying to take, I trying to spend time with the kids and wife as much as I can. But it was so hot during that time. It was like 40 degrees, 47. Like we had a 48 degree. And when it gets 48 degree and our AC is tripping, like if it gets over 40, our AC just can't cope with it. It's just like shortcuts and all that. So it was hot. I didn't get to do anything. I've been making knives for the last week. 48 as degrees. Of the, of, 48, you should be out. Yeah. We had 48.9 in Penrith, which for our American listeners is 120 degrees Fahrenheit. You don't even, I don't understand your problem, but you don't even have to light the gas forge. Just put your steel out in the sun and yeah. save some energy. So you could temper your knives, probably <laughs> over temper your knives, holding them out in the sun. Everything is probably like 40 Rockwell by now. Yeah. 
Well, we had a, a, nothing in comparison to you guys, but Canberra recorded its hottest day on record, which was I think I think it actually hit forty four. And man, I can I can empathise with you. It's shit. Who wants to be outside in that? We upgraded our aircon recently, which is awesome because it's you know more efficient, refrigerated, reverse cycle. I took two steps out of the door one day, heading towards the bloody workshop, and then turned around and came back inside and started binge watching Netflix again. Well, I put the air, the solar on, and I've been you know planning to run the air conditioner off the solar, but because of the smoke that we've had, uh, yeah, yeah. the solar's down, running at about fifty percent. So it's I'm paying for electricity; it's killing me. Yeah. So um, the um, yeah, look honestly, the smoke haze for those of you that aren't in the on the east coast of Australia at the moment. Um, you know, bushfires are hitting. They're, they're even apparently in front of Donald Trump's impeachment in America on the news. In America, um, it's just, it's just, well, it's disastrous. And um, since beginning of Mandus. November, Jibbets. beginning of November, late October, the sm- every day in Sydney's a smoke day. Yeah, and same here in Canberra. We've had um, the worst air quality in the world for a fair few days running, and it's shit. Like you walk outside, take a breath. I, I get, you know, a little bit of mild asthma, walk outside, two breaths in, wheezing, back inside, done. Which is no good. Like, so when you're trying to run a business, small business, and, and get production done, and when we're off air before, you were talking about um, trying to get stuff done for your Perth show. Every day that we lose in the workshop just adds that extra little bit of pressure on to, you know, what we've got to get done the following day. Double that up, double that up. I was in a similar boat to you. My wife had the time off between Christmas and just after New Year's. And, you know, we decided with the same thing, spend a bit of time together outside of the workshop um, and, and hang out and get a few things, you know, spend a bit of quality time together, which was nice. Um, I ran my first course back for the year, uh, Monday, Tuesday, just gone. Uh, that was good, good to get back in. Uh, had a fella, one-on-one, older bloke, came down. He's made like a Tanto-y style knife and a chef knife. Yeah. He did all right. No, he's, he's actually based in Thailand. Um, he did all right. Didn't have to give him a hand with the forging at all. It was, um, you know, could actually swing a hammer pretty well. Works with his hands a lot. Um, he used to be a, in the wine industry. He's a chemist. So all right. Used to be in the wine industry, and we are talking about that, and his favourite wine to make was Shiraz, which just happened to be the favourite wine that I like to drink. So we didn't really talk too much about it, other than I was picturing getting drunk at 10 o'clock in the morning because we were talking about wine. Day drinking. Yeah, day drinking mm. would have been fun. Um, were you forging in that heat? Uh, How mate, hot was No, we have been so fortunate uh, in Canberra for every day that I've run a course from November up through we've had a little cool front come through. So it was it was 30 degrees total yesterday. Like it was, a, it, no, when we were forging right. in the morning, it was like at eight o'clock when we started the forging process. Yeah, it was, wasn't even 20 degrees. Poor old bugger, because he's from Thailand, was shivering until we put the forge <laughs> on. <laughs> I'm there going, oh, I might roll the door up, mate. It's, it's too hot. And he's going, oh, I'm, I'm cold, I'm cold. <laughs> so he loved it when we, when we uh, when we're doing the thermal cycling, I always close the workshop up, pull the blinds mm, down so I can get the, the right dark. color and everything. And that's normally a sweatshop. Like I had sweat pouring off me and he was loving it. We opened up the door to get some fresh air in and he was, um, you know, hugging himself because it was actually a little bit cold for him. But, you know. So that's about where I'm at. I'm, I'm sort of now gearing up um, to get back in. I had a bit of a, when we had that break, 
I, I think I said something to you, maybe Mert, that, man, I just hit this, the lowest point of motivation that I've had for a long time with knife making when I had that break. It was a long year, heaps got done, lots of travel and stuff with it. And I think when I switched off over that Christmas period, yeah, my whole mindset changed and I've really struggled. And plus with the heat and the smoke, um, I've really struggled to get back into the workshop. So the teaching of that course, which I just did, forced me to get back in there and actually, I think it's got the mojo back now. I'm keen to get back in there. What about you, Corin? You've, um, you showed me something today that was obviously, you know, what you've been up to a little bit of. Yeah, I started when Jamie, for those that listened back then, when Jamie was here, I uh, started making a knife at, at, at my place uh, just at the end of last year. So I finished a barrel knife, which made me um, the second one for 2019. Bit of an epic year for me on a roll. Um, and uh, it's just a little barrel knife, probably 65 millimeter, uh, 60 millimeter barrel. Something yeah, like that. it's, it's small. small. Yeah. Used nickel silver for it. It's the first one I've done with nickel silver. I normally use sterling silver. I've used brass liners. I've used bronze. Um, and I just thought I'd just give nickel silver a go. And it just, it. I'm not a fan of nickel silver. When it's used on a knife with steel blades and things, I find that it's too yellowy. I don't like it like as much as I like, say, four one six. Yep. But on a on the barrel knife, I think it still worked really well because it doesn't contrast with anything, and all the fittings were nickel silver, the liners, the ferrules, and it's going with a Dharma steel blade, so there's no like different silvers, if you know what I'm saying. So yeah. I found it I found it worked pretty well. I might I might use it again. Um, a little bit harder to use than bronze and silver, just a little bit uh, just a bit firmer to form when you're making the ferrules. But uh, yeah, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It worked worked pretty good. Just um, yeah, I have to mm. say, like very impressive. I reckon it's absolutely freaking awesome. Actually, like really small, but just so freaking clean. Like you, you've na- you've got the processes nailed, mate. Like that, one of the nicest knives I've seen. It's fucking awesome, actually. And I look at it and think, fuck, there's so much I can do. Better. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> isn't that always isn't that the way though? <laughs> yeah. I I actually I actually thought, nah, this will be the one I sell. And then when I finished it, I thought, nah, it's still not good enough. So oh, I, okay, I gave it away. <laughs> oh, you actually when you showed me, you were giving it to me. <laughs> oh, you'll have to fight my wife. I gave oh. it to my missus. <laughs> fuck no. <laughs> yeah, nah, my my up. wife was she got up to third down in. Taekwondo and yeah, yeah. <laughs> regardless of that I'm always wary I'd never I'd never um, be having a fight with a uh, with a lady <laughs> they, so, they fight dirty <laughs> no it was about time I, I gave her something so um, and you got away as well over Christmas yeah yeah actually um, I, I've got some leave I've got 30, 30 plus weeks of annual leave accrued over 20 years with the company so I um, I thought you know I've got to got to use some of it up so I took the kids away. Um, we we uh, borrowed a friend's place up at um, up the coast, up at your minor area, up on the central coast. The wind was blowing the right way. There was no um, uh, the smoke was minimum. I won't say there was no smoke. We went out in the boat on one day and you couldn't see two hundred meters. But mm. I mean, you know, it's the way it is at the moment. But it was better. And uh, yeah, we went fishing, bike riding, bushwalking, um, bike riding in the bush, mountain bike riding. Uh, we did uh, went out in the uh, little boat, twelve foot tinny, you know, heaps of fun, not much gun, and um, we. Um, so you sent at one stage when we were all having a chat. 
you sent these photos of some dude out on a surf ski. Wave ski, yeah. Wave like, ski. And I fucking thought that was you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm people, like, holy shit. If people... Look yeah, as you go. Yeah, no. And then we realise, <laughs> oh, no. You go, oh, this guy was really good. And I'm like, oh, yeah. fuck, I thought that was you. <laughs> so I, um, I, I wrote a... See, if you follow me on YouTube, um, I've got... My name's Corin Kayaker on YouTube, right? And it all started for me when I was about 10 or 11, my dad bought us a wave ski, my brother and I. We had a place up the coast and we used to go up there and we'd go wave skiing every day um, on holidays. And so I was a very competent paddler. I can Eskimo roll, can do uh, all sorts. Um, later that went on to scouts and things. We'll talk about all that later. But um, basically kayaking has been my thing for a very long time. And uh, this summer uh, I, uh, I got back on a wave ski and my son got a surfboard and oh i just had a ball um you know the surf was good and uh, it was just it was just good fun so i'm yeah. really good to get back out my shoulders and my body's thanking me <laughs> a little bit but yeah. i'm still carrying a bit of extra load the, the wave ski's rated at 95 kilos so it sinks a bit low in the water <laughs> it would sink <laughs> it'd be a submarine with me on it <laughs> but oh, you know, first of all, are you going to be able to get in kev no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, no. Sit, you sit on top with a seatbelt. It freaks people out because um, it's like a surfboard where you put your feet into straps and then you put a seatbelt on which buckle up. And then if you fall over, of course, you're strapped to it upside down. So you've either got to do one of two things, Eskimo roll and pop back up or uh, uh, or three things really, or uh, um, bail, unbuckle yourself from the board and hopefully fall off, or three, um, drown. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of fun. It freaks people out, but it's... Uh, it's a really good sport, and I just I'm hoping to do a bit more of it this year. Now I've got access to a ski again, so that's just um just to try and get a bit of fitness off. Yeah, I've podged oh, up over the, the last yeah. few years. So and we all yeah, it's all the beer at Blade oh, and all yeah. the practice for Blade as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with the heat this year, especially in this start of summer, like I'm I'm normally pretty conservative with what I drink, but I tell you what, every day beer o'clock, I'm I'm loving it. Um, how do you go with water, Matt? Do you like like, are you a water person? Do you like oceans so, and shit? Look, I like water. Water, we all need water to survive, but nothing will replace the beer after you finish working in the shed. Like, that first beer, I will sing to that first beer. That first beer is true fucking love, man. Like, getting the first cold <laughs> beer after a hot day in the shed. Even last year, I ended up trying a... The Coopers had a little alcohol-free version. I call it beer juice. Because I don't just like drinking water all the time, but if I keep drinking beer, no, don't nah, don't be judgmental. <laughs> uh, don't be judgmental. I forgot we got a video recording going. Mert obviously just saw Corin and I look at each other and shake our heads in absolute disgust. Alcohol-free beer. Look, that's while I'm working. Yeah. As soon as I'm done, yeah, yeah I, no, I hit the regular beer. Fine. Everyone's you, got you, their vices. You, you want something like that next time you're down with me? I'm going to fart in a cup of water and give it to you because it's about the same. It'll have the same amount of bubbles and the same amount of flavour. I was actually thinking how great it is that you guys can wait till you finish work to start drinking because <laughs> being a hobbyist knife maker, I start about 10 o'clock as I work and I just plough through the day like that. And you know... Okay. I've, I've spent about 500 bucks on beer this season and I'm just thinking, it's not beer because I can't drink beer, so I'm drinking cider and yeah, yeah. old stonies and fucking all sorts of shit. But 
Oh, and the new Han Crisp Ultra Crisp, which is gluten free. So right. Oh, yeah, just shout out for them. Yeah, yeah. Yep, it's brewed with rice. It doesn't taste a lot like beer, but it's better than not beer at all. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, basically, uh, basically, I've drunk too much, and I'm just thinking I've probably got to slow down. I've, I've been drinking the the black beers, the stouts, milk, oh, yeah. milk, milk stouts, cut with a knife and fork, sort of. Oh like, yeah. yeah, and there's there's a. Uh, I don't even. I can't give them a plug because I can't remember it. But our local fresh food markets. There's like a boutique um, alcohol store and they've got massive range of beers, like so many beers, it's not funny. And you go to their black beer, porter, stout, that sort of stuff, um, and they've just got dozens to choose from. So I've just been going there and buying like two of a sort of beer and bring them home and see how it go. And some of them, some of them rate pretty shitty. And then I found one recently that, um, yeah, Goodfellows or something, it's a, it's a milk stout not particularly high alcohol considering most of them are uh, but very nice so but I, I was in there with my son oh, just reaching down and grab something I was, went in there to buy some stuff with my son was in with me and I said this is the problem when you start buying you know nicer boutique beers I bought four beers and it was 30 bucks. <laughs> so you have a you have one. So you drink that stout at the end yeah. of the day and go, man, that was good. Then you jump onto the cheap, shitty beers. Cheap, you shitty. drink more. <laughs> By the time you don't taste yeah. anything, yeah. Yeah, it's Look, like, I, I've like been drinking fine whiskey. That... I always have a good one for Rare. the first two or three and then after that you can plow into the, into the yeah. blend. <laughs> That's it. I've got, I've got the same. I've got the nice whiskeys. You have the first one nice and then you just drop to the shitty stuff. <laughs> I found a I found a beer. Uh, it's a it's a wheat it's a wheat beer, and I think it's Murray Vale something. I can't remember, but I was surprised to find it because the selection for the wheat beer or the German style Hefeweizen is usually limited where I live, and our local um, Blue Box carries it. So, yay! The one I was was drinking when I was trying to avoid carbohydrates, and I'm not so good with wheat and all that sort of stuff myself. Uh, is the Burley Big Head beer, so it's zero carbs and all the rest of it. But that's about same thing. It's like seventy bucks a case or something. So you know, that's what I brought up to your place that time when we came up. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, it's not too bad. It's a nice beer. So we've sort of we've we've deviated from the path. And the actual question I was asking you um, was not like not do you like drinking water, but do you like going into the ocean and stuff? <laughs> because with Corin talking about this kayaking and waveboarding, I hate. I am not a water person. I'm a land. I'm, I'm a land-based being. I, my feet have. My, I've got big flat feet, and they like terra firma. Um, the best I do is I've got a sit-on-top kayak that I go out onto lakes and estuaries. I do not go in the ocean. Ankle deep in the ocean, that's like a swim for me. It's too much shit out there. Yeah, it's look- going to kill you. Yeah, it's especially in Australia. It's everything will kill you. Back when I used to live in Turkey, like I'll just go out like hundred meter wide and just stay afloat on the water and not even worry about things because we killed everything living in in the sea. But in Australia, nah, you, you don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> nah, Very like good. ankle deep, ankle deep max. I've gone like I've gone to Bondi. We were in the beach and we were in the water, and you're looking at around. 
I just have to beat that guy. I just have to f- swim faster than that guy. <laughs> you swim nearby a person that doesn't seem to be athletic. There's no way I'm not going to outswim this guy. Watching things like Bondi Rescue, to me, yeah. that, that's research. I'm looking and taking stats on the um, the you know population base that's rescued the most times and is the most pathetic. And a lot of the times I find that's from like the Asian region tourists that seem to get caught in rips and stuff. So I'm swimming with those guys because they're more likely to get dragged out in a rip than me. (laughs) Did you really say that? (laughs) Well, you know, statistically, it's it's proven. It's on TV. Gotta believe you look it. at where are the Asian students or the Indian <laughs> yeah, students. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The Let ones, me just swim by them. The, the, the ones cool. that live up in the mountains back home and they that's never not... see the ocean. They don't understand currents, rips, or the the power of water. And and they are quite often drunk. And they'll jump out into the water and and then you know you gotta got to... get chances. So years ago, best. I lived in Germany, right? I lived in Germany in a place called Lübeck, which is up on the uh, on the Baltic, basically on the east on the east sea, and. Um, I uh, used to go to the beach there, and then one day this the wind was blowing in from the uh, from, from the east, and we ended up they ended up with a swell. We went to the beach, and there's a it's a good two foot swell. It's not much, but it yeah. was a swell. They closed the beach for swimmers because it was too dangerous. <laughs> Fuck that! I went out and started swimming. People were on the beach, all oh, is he all right? I'm catching waves. I'm having a great time. I come back in, and they're, they're, my family's there saying, "Oh, it's all right. He's Australian." Like you know. But, yeah. but it's not just, it's not, well, my point is, it's just any kind of tourist that comes from anywhere in the world that doesn't have waves, it's not safe for them, you know? Yeah. They don't, know, they don't understand currents and rips and just no. how powerful the surf can be. I do, and that's why I never get in the water. <laughs> Screw that. Know your limits. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm well aware of my limits. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. All right, so we've been, you know, a couple of minutes of blabbing there and whatnot, but um, like I said, you're, today, Corin, you're our guest. Um don't think you're going to get any special favours out of that. But today you're our guest and Mert and I are going to, you know, hit you up with a few questions to get a bit more of a background so that um, the people out there listening will have a better understanding of, I guess, who you are and why you are like you are and why you do what you do and that sort of stuff. <laughs> you're probably more like, more like you are at the moment because of the present company, but, uh, you know. Good day. So when when you were talking just before, you were saying stuff about uh, obviously your kayaking and, and water background there, uh, but you also mentioned like scouts. Um, when we when we talk about sort of knife making and stuff, um, and we ask people about their background, where you got started, a lot of that stuff generally comes from kids going camping or in, involved in sort of outdoor groups and scouts. Is that something that um, you were involved in at a younger age, or is it something that you helped out with? I was. Yeah, scouting, I, I was a cub, but it started a bit earlier. Like, this is back in the days. At nine, I was born in um, in the 70s, mid-70s. And um, we lived in Winston Hills. So for the people who don't know Sydney, that's the, the suburbs of Sydney. It's out in the hills, the area of Sydney. And it's just a, just a regular, just north of Parramatta, just a regular place. And it's... Uh, Back then, it was maybe a little bit not so rough. Not not a good area. It wasn't a bad area. It was just just Winston Hills. And um, growing up there, we didn't have a television. Um, my parents didn't get a television until probably the mid '80s. So I was probably eight or nine at the time. Yeah. And <clears throat> my mum was studying science uh, at um, 
the University of New England. So she'd go away on on field trips and things all the time. She ended up being an entomologist, um, finishing her degree and getting her degree as an entomologist and working for the Forestry Commission for many, many years. My father worked as in sales and um, uh, management for a, an American firm. And I, uh, yeah, basically growing up, we just made our own fun. We, as I say, we didn't have a TV, so I was into, you know, Lego, Meccano. But what fascinated me most was my, my father's pocket knives. So my father had a couple of Swiss Army knives. In fact, I had about four or five, and I just loved them. I just thought they were the, the duck's nuts, like three, four. They were my, when I'm talking really young, four, five. By the time I was six, all I wanted was a Swiss Army knife. And I got one on my sixth birthday. I think it was my aunt and uncle that gave it to me. Mum and dad might might remind me, uh, tell me otherwise, but I was six. So I got this, um, just a little Swiss Army knife, and it had a toothpick and a pair of tweezers, oh, and it yeah. had the, the screwdrivers and the can opener and two blades. You know the one. That's it. So I took this Swiss Army knife with us, and it was, um, my birthday's near the October long weekend. And uh, so the day after my birthday, we went hiking and camping down it. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We went down to um, um, Erskine Creek up in the Blue Mountains and took this knife. And, um, yeah, I cut myself on the first day. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I had, they had to put my finger, we were hiking, of course, so they had to stitch it back together with those uh, butterfly clips. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's all good. And I learned a valuable lesson about uh, about knives. Anyway, uh, that, that I really haven't learned much from because as, uh, you know, if anyone that looks at my hands will see the scars mm. uh, of the numerous cuts. But, I mean, that's that's part of it. And I was I've been a knife guy since I was born. I just can't can't sort of stress that enough and I, I love hiking my family took us camping and hiking all the time they took us on a trip around australia when before we started school uh, we didn't really need a tv um it was it was really really quite a i mean i got no regrets from my childhood going on field trips with mum looking for land snails which is an entomology but she's also held into mollusks um so both land and ocean so that's um yeah, that's her hobby. She's an entomologist by employment and a, I don't know, mollusk petition. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. Entomologist and she's into mollusks. Into mollusks, yeah. So, so that's... Um, How's that for a dad joke? So I, yeah, that's gold, mate, gold. So I grew, up, I grew up getting into knives from that aspect. So I've always been into the outdoors, yeah. And so my dad, I became a cub, to go back to what you were saying. I mm-hmm. became a cub scout. My dad was a, the cub leader and he was a cub leader for like 25 years. I... Um, I never went on to scouts. Uh, I was just a cub, and then I just thought, no, nah, it's not really for me, and I didn't really get it. At the time, I was more of a loner. I didn't really get that whole the pack mentality and, mm-hmm. the, and the patrol mentality, and that I, it wasn't working for me, and it was the right thing for me to leave. Um, and, um, yeah, but it didn't... Oh, yeah, it didn't stop my love of knives. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where, where I'm at. Okay, Corn. So how did you end up what was the moment when you said, I enjoy knives, but I'm going to make a knife? How did that transition happen? <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's, you know, this is a pretty good question. I guess it happened for me many, many years ago when I was throwing knives at a tree at a friend's place. And um, I had this really cool dive knife and uh, I smashed the handle off it. And I thought, oh, oh shit. Anyway, then I'm, I... <laughs> I made a new handle for it. <clears throat> I can't tell you how bad that handle was, 
but I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. I customized it, and it was, you know, I did it at home with some pretty crappy tools, and but it, you know, I tied it on with a piece of string almost. But biting is biting is pain. No, no, no. It was a bit of Jarrah, a bit of a barbecue trolley. I can tell you that much. Barbecue, bit of barbecue trolley, old barbecue, a bit of Jarrah. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I, I that was sort of my first experience, but I, I didn't really get it until uh, when I was living in Germany. So. When I moved to Germany, I was living in Lübeck up north. I mentioned that, so I went up to um, Scandinavia, and I we stayed at a we had no money. Oh, look, a long story. We we saved up all this money. I ended up with uh, about two thousand marks, which at the time was a lot of money. And I went across on the ferry to Scandinavia and lost it all in a casino. So we worked painting a house to earn this money, and then I lost it going over. I was nineteen years old. Um, probably 18 at the time and it was a very valuable lesson on the house always wins when we got to scandinavia we were penniless and so we were just trying to find places to sleep that weren't trains and stations and parks under bridges and things so a friend of a friend was there and um, they said we could stay at their place in their basement so we went there uh, in norway when we got to norway and this guy was just like you oh, outdoors bloke right hunter fisherman norwegian guy didn't speak any english but he and i hit it off straight away like despite the language barrier and he pulled out his knife and i was just blown away and it was a scandinavian puku style puku so have you say that and um and he was explaining how he made it and how he bought the blade but he made the handle and the sheath and it was just lovely it was just a fantastic piece and then he showed me the one he made with his son and I was just like, oh, far out. This is the best. I've got to do this. I've got to have one of these knives. And I went, um, we continued on, and we went to a, um, uh, like a little seaside village somewhere, and I saw the Heller range of knives in the shop, and I fell in love. I wanted to get a Heller knife, and these were so cool, and I couldn't afford one, and I thought, oh, I'll be heaps cheaper to make one anyway. So, yeah, the rest is is kind of history i bought a bunch of blades on my return uh actually it was about six years later and um i started putting handles on hella blanks uh, which is scandinavian knife blanks so that's how i started making knives and of course after a while you get sick of trying to import blades and bind blades and you know i i started making my own blades as well which is another story but that's yeah that's how i started that's how i got into it yeah what um obvious well not obvious i guess but we talked about it just before when you said you hit a momentous occasion and made two knives this year or last year mm -hmm. um your reputation i guess or your identification in it at the moment is about barrel knives mm. um, now barrel knives i remember seeing a barrel knife like years and years and years ago and thinking man that's so cool but i never took a step to go in any direction with it and then had an opportunity to um, learn to make a barrel knife with Thomas Gurner, which I believe you had an introduction with him as well. Is that right? Yeah. So for barrel knives, for me, it started in um, 2012. I, I lost my, um, my father-in-law to mental illness. And um, uh, I was pretty shaken after that and I kind of I went a bit 
I escaped my real world by jumping onto forums and I was on a forum called Bushcraft Odds very heavily. I was one of the biggest posters there. I made a whole bunch of bush food posts and informative posts about what I did and what my, my view on bushcraft. And I guess I, you could say I was a contributing member, whether you like me or not, that's where I was. And um, they, uh, <clears throat> on there one day, I was always into Scandinavian knives and I was transitioning to, to high flat grind um, full flat yep. sort of knives. I was transitioning to that at the time. And this guy posted up a, um, a picture of a, uh, of a barrel knife and said, can anyone make this? And I looked at it and said, oh, I'd love to have a go at that one day. And it stuck with me for a very long time until I went down to the first, my first Adelaide knife show, which was 2013. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Thomas Gurner had a double-bladed barrel knife that he'd made, and um, he was just stoked to sit down with me and talk barrel knives, and that's pretty much all I did. I chewed his ear off for a whole weekend on the ins and outs and and how to how to make them and um, how to get them to lock up properly and and all this sort of stuff. And like, don't get me wrong, Thomas's knives is is a master bladesmith. He's one of 104 in the world and all the rest of it. Um, and he's a great guy. He's very very knowledgeable but i have i'm i think i'm a bit more ocd yeah i just think (laughs) you're reading my mind (laughs) you know i just think i'm a bit more ocd than than thomas and i i looked at what he did but he he has such a wealth of knowledge on the subject and um he helped me buy a uh, buy one so there was some for sale even those the collectors up the back of adelaide show we went through there and they had three different knives and he showed me that the worst one was the one he said to buy because it had all the right features and now now looking back it was he just really put me on the right path just really put me on the right path the other person was the actually uh, it wasn't it wasn't thomas that first did it for for me the first one i met was thomas um was uh Maureen McCarthy. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was 2013 at the first Melbourne show that I did. Mm -hmm. It was the last one before Maureen passed away. I didn't know he was sick at the time. And um, Maureen sat down and showed me his take on barrel knives, which was all in silver, much more OCD. And he uh, he had some stuff about his that I didn't like, like he'd split the handle down to make the chisel out the the recess down the centre. And I really, really don't like that. Um, but he he made that a feature by putting it back together and then putting nice domed silver pins in it. And I mean, it looked great. No question about it. Work of art, as everything that Maury did was. Um, but again, I just, that's where I sort of found my, my I'm going to say my style, but my style's more, I guess my style's more traditional, really, except for the oh, absolutely. related stuff. Yeah, no, it is. It is very. Like and, and from what we've seen, like I spent the time up with you myself, um, You've got a good process going, and the use of materials, and but that's any advancement in knife making is using what you've got, make the job, not only easier to do or not necessarily easier. Having seen what you did on your latest one, you tricky bastard, um, but it's to use materials that will give you a nicer end result. I think that's the way I look at it. Like you're using your damas steel for your blades, can't go wrong with that. Mm. the various materials you're using for your um, for the end caps the bolt what do we call them bolsters the caps no they're ferrules ferrules um, you know it's all about that but yours like I said yours I'm sure if I sat down and and spent 10 minutes with you and watched you point out what was wrong with it I'd probably 
start to identify that more. But when I looked at that, especially that one today that you made, man, that was fucking nice. And uh, your style is recreating something that's historically, you know, you know within reasonable amount, historically accurate. Yeah. But just with modern touches yeah. to it. Yeah. And mine are, mine are much better than any original one because the original one was factory factory made. So. Yeah. And we talked about that this morning that <coughs> yeah. I've got a, I've got a one from the late 1800s slash early 1900s and the grinding on it, the blade grinds uh, are disgusting. Like the plunge lines don't meet. One side's ground about five millimetres high and the other side's about nine millimetres high. The apprentice one. Yeah. And, and you look at them and they, you just think, man, these things, they obviously came out of a factory. They were pumped out as best they could get them to get them out there and get them into the, into the environment. But when you're a custom maker and, like I said, you're taking your time and you've got your processes down pat, that definitely shows in it. So Yeah, yeah and you can get a bit more... Like, I'm getting creative in the way I do the pivots and things. Like, in the yeah. old days, they just put the blade in and rivet it. That's pretty quick, easy to do. I understand why they did that. But now I'm going to, like, um, changing my pivots up so that on this new one, you, you can, you're on one side of the carrier, you can't even see how the pivots yeah. function. <laughs> Had me fooled. Yeah. I'm like, what the oh, fuck? Just, just trying it out. And I've got some patents there from the 1800s that I want to, uh, I want to go through them. And I want to make some of the original stuff that thomas has been saying for years he wants to make a corkscrew oh, yeah. Off. Yeah, i yeah, probably yeah. won't beat him at that but i've got another one there which i'm going to keep a bit secret for the time being which i've pulled up about 18 or 20 different patents on barrel knife themes yeah. and um, i'm going to try this other one so i've done two bladed ones my two bladed ones better than the patent one um because you, the patent ones made around having symmetrical blades that nest together whereas mine if you look at mine mine are ground asymmetrically so that they nest yeah um into it and that's really tricky to do so you wouldn't do that in a factory situation you know so yeah that's my that's my style i um yeah i've, I've had a lot of fun and it, as i say i've gone through the fixed blades and i made a couple of you know drop point hunters and things and you know i just didn't like it and i'm kind of happy just doing the barrel knives mm. now yeah i'm going to stick with the barrel knives for a while i'm enjoying it still and i've still got so much to learn yeah so that's it so Corey, your first knife you made what tools you had when you made i mean we know we know right now your shed is called as pick them bunnings you got every <laughs> possible machinery that you can fucking think of imagine and envy of but what did you use okay, for your so first knife? I, my progression in knife making is, is pretty funny because I started putting handles on and I was just using like a GMC belt sander and stuff for doing the handles. But when I wanted to start making blades, I sort of played with the belt sander and it was just not cutting it. I didn't have any forging gear. And I um, so really when I first started making the whole knife, the first thing I did is my wife had a Nissan Pulsar. I sold that and bought a Daewoo, which is a bit cheaper. And the money that I saved from doing that, I bought a grinder. So yeah, sold my wife's car to buy a grinder. That that at the time seemed like a good idea, but I probably spent more than the grinder on counselling afterwards. So if anyone wants to try that, just learn from my mistakes. <laughs> um, anyway, we won't harp on that. We, we've moved on. <laughs> Uh, we don't bring it up at home and, and we're all happy. <laughs> I bought this Radius Master anyway. And the Radius Master was the, the apple of my eye for many, mm -hmm. many years. And, and, you know, I've still got a bit of a, a bit of affection for it, as anyone who owns one would. Oh, yeah. And um, Did you put Nissan stickers on your grinder to remind your wife? 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lifeline stickers. Yeah. <laughs> Lifeline. <laughs> Marriage council. Lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> So I started... Do you regret the choices you made? Call Lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Was, it was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mission Australia or something, anyway. So, anyway, let's not go there again. No. So, the um, the grinder the grinder really sort of took me forward because, it, you know, having a grinder obviously is, is, is key and I started making knives straight away. Um, so when I started making knives, most of everything I did was on the Radius Master. In fact, I tried to do everything I could on the Radius Master. Now when I make a knife, I think most people would be shocked and amazed at how little I use a grinder. I, um, yeah. I, I've, just, I've gone the other way. Most people start with files, go to a grinder. I started with a grinder and I would go on to files. And, you know, with a barrel knife, there's so much fiddly fitting. It's just, I do a little bit of ferrule adjustment, a little bit of handle work, and I grind my bevels on the grinder but the rest of the time i'm working on files hand tools yeah hand tools yeah everything's pretty yeah. pretty straightforward hand tool stuff so i um that's that's pretty much my progression it's a bit strange but i i started yeah with a radius master hmm very good so um obviously one of the you know the questions which gets bantered around a lot causes a lot of contentions um that's the radius master's a two by 48 You've also got a really nice grinder in your workshop, the yeah, um, Gibson, 72. Gibson 72. I've had a number of 72-inch grinders over the years. Cause 48 or 72? Like, what are you... Okay, so I've, I've got the Radius Master in the 48. I've got my 48-inch on the surface grinder. I've yep. had a Tag 101, a little buddy, and the Gibson 72. And my honest take on belts is I don't see the fuss. Um, what I wouldn't do is do what I've done and have two different belts in your shop. Yeah. That is a bit of a pain in the ass, to yeah. be honest. So I would have, if you're going to have multiple machines, and, and fuck, multiple machines is just a just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah, but if you're going to do it, you need to just make sure they're the same. And that that's um, that's the way to go. Yeah. So I don't I don't think I don't think it makes any difference. I hear all these stories about heat heat build up and all this, but when you go into testing it and and working it out, it's all the they're all the same. There's negligible difference. The price on belts. The way I justify two by forty-eight as being better than a, than two by seventy-two is investment to get into it is less. Yep. It's cheaper. Um, they take up less footprint in a shop, and for most hobbyists, that's fine. You you don't want to take up too much because you're normally walking working in a corner of a garage or something. Mm-hmm. They have. Um, just about every accessory available for them that's the 2x72 so it's not it's not limiting anymore a radius master is limiting um yeah it's it does it has it, does. It's it has a good range of functions but not quite enough minutes. so you can't you, you know you can't put radius small platens on it you yeah. can't put small wheels on it you can't it's a great platform but mm. but uh, something like a noob grinder or the, the what do we call them now shop mate 48s those ones you can put a whole bunch of accessories on and they're a bit more versatile and they're less upfront cost to get variable speed. So, And the last point is it's actually cheaper to buy belts in a way. And the reason is belts on average are about um, per um, per belt you're paying sort of 60, 70 cents, maybe a dollar more per foot of belt or whatever. Per Not per foot of belt, but per... <laughs> 
the same amount of belt. You're yeah. paying a little bit more to get the same amount of belt. And but it actually works out cheaper because when you're when you're buying belts, you're going to buy in packs, right? Buy your belts in packs, twelve yeah. or ten or whatever it is that you get the discount. You'll tie less money up buying two by forty eight belts than you will two by seventy two belts. You'll tie a lot, like almost thirty percent more money mm. up mm. buying two by seventy two to get the discount. And so for a hobbyist, particularly for a hobbyist, that's just tying up cash, you know, yep. to get the better price. So, you know, two by seventy two is good. I know it's what the Americans use. But there's a fair amount of just that's what the Americans use wank factor in that as well. From somebody who's got both, I can't see the difference. You've used both Kev over the years. Yeah, I I have um, two of the Shopmate forty eights, and I've got my trusty old Radius Master in my workshop. I was of the same opinion as yourself when I had my Radius Master. The choice to get a new grinder came up, and it was like, okay, well, do I want a seventy two inch? And I thought the same thing. The first thought that came to me is, fuck, then I have to go fucking buy two lots of belts and manage that and you know what do I want to do that so I opted for the shopmate 48 and then I bought um, another one of those to go into the workshop for when I run my classes and you know I, I won't talk too much about it obviously but <clears throat> from my experience I've done 2x72s as well and um, it was a little while ago before some of these nice and newer belts but made a blaze belt running on a grinder that can get up to the right speed to get the most out of it mm will give you a hell of a lot of work. I'm not very frugal with my belts. I'll, I'll grind till they're um, you know, not cutting clean on a few passes and then they get shipped down to a profiling belt or put in a rack or put in the bin. I, I threw out oh, too many, too many sort of half done belts. The other side of it with me is um, I've got a couple of guys here locally that I just go, okay, well, there's half a dozen belts up there that you'll probably enjoy using to grind the mm. knife because you'll take longer. I want to get it out as quick as I can. So I get really good dollar value out of a 48-inch belt. So mm. I look at it economically. It, as, as you were saying, I'm outlaying less money up front, and I buy bulk. I buy a hell of a lot of belts. I buy months and months and months of belts at a time because I run the classes, and the last thing I want to do is run out. But I... I put that few thousand dollars into my belts and the return I get, it's always ticking over in my head about that efficiency, the return, especially when you're trying to run a, a small business doing this stuff. Um, and I get, I just in basic terms, I get a really good return rate for the dollars I put into that belt for the number of knives that I get out of it. Mm. When you're producing work that you're getting, you know, several hundred dollars for a blade up to, you know, quite a bit more, you, you got to get out of that mindset of it's, you know, oh, twelve dollars a belt. Twelve dollars a belt. It's it's fucking. You get four belts, uh, four knives out of a belt. It's fucking three bucks a fucking knife that you're gonna sell for three hundred and something bucks. Yeah, I use my old my so, old belts for blacksmithing stuff, dressing hammers. Yeah, I use yeah. the older ones get done for profiling, mm. and then I've got a few belts that I've used forever that are my sort of sharpening range of belts, and and I just bought some of those fifteen micron. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah right. We'll talk about them later. Yeah. <laughs> but they're so. good. Um, yeah, okay. So you're sort of, you know, six or one, half a dozen, the other. Yeah, one, I don't think it matters. Mate. I yeah, sell yeah. both. If I didn't think, if I didn't stand by them, I wouldn't sell them. So. Yeah. I'm really looking forward for the person who is going to come up with the what to do with the worn out belt solution. Oh, yeah. I, I uh, had a. Um, 
Do do we epoxy him turn him into a fucking chair or something? I've like what do you do? People I do. cut him up and <laughs> I had a funny little thing. <laughs> I get these little weird. Well, most people know it. the way I think is is pretty weird anyway. But I get these little weird things. I'd love to do um, shock videos for Instagram and stuff. And I get the idea in my head, and then I, I back out. Uh, I'm I'm not one to back out of many things, but I get these ideas of something funny, and then I get to the crunch time, and I think the the little you know the little tiny little angel on the left hand side that says no, don't do this. Um, I listen to that voice occasionally, but. Yeah, worn belts, man. Like I said, I seriously just filled up a 60-litre garbage bag full of worn belts, uh, and they went in the bin. They went out to the rubbish yesterday. I was thinking the same thing. It's like, fuck, what could you do with these things? Mm. Um, Very, very difficult things. Whoever fixes something up um, will make a shitload of money, I reckon. Yeah. A lot of belts get tossed every every year. Yeah. So um, you're, you're mostly, nowadays with your blades using damasteel yeah you're doing your uh, barrel knives so therefore your preferred heat treating sort of processes would be um obviously very controlled environment um kiln Mm. um i use a paragon yeah paragon yep i've got a i've got an older paragon and mine there was that a lot of people talking about the differential zones in there with the temperatures mine actually runs really well i must have got lucky for a change on that one i'm running a demo um the demo three zone pro kiln at the moment at home, mm. which I've I've got on uh, on shop loan just as a demo, and oh far out man, yeah, yeah. I've seen the light now. Man, the thing I'm envious about with that is the up to temp timing. It's fucking unreal, man. Fifteen minutes. Fifteen your, minutes. Fifteen yeah. minutes and up to temp, <laughs> and and that's like a thousand and fifty degrees Celsius. So whatever that is Fahrenheit, the fucking light. Nineteen hundred and something. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lot. So um. You know, and uh, holds one degree sort of front to back, two, three degree front to back. By the time it stabilizes, it's bloody accurate. Yeah, and I imagine those times, mm. well, you're probably not doing multiple blades. Nah, it's a difficult question for you. Um, when you're, when he Mert, made five, he yeah. made like five year worth of blades. <laughs> when Mert and I heat treat and we use the kiln, one of the things that shits me is you put two knives in there because you're like, okay, well, I'll do two and I'll quickly close the door and quench one. And it comes back up to speed and you quench another. But then when you open the door up to put your next lot of knives in on the older models, obviously the temp drops and then you've got to wait another you know, 30, yeah, 40 ages. minutes to get the bloody thing up to yeah, soak times. And so I imagine with those newer kilns, one of the bigger benefits is people are going to be able to put their blade in there. It smashes back up the temp. And it's quick. going to be able to temp real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just working on finessing on those at the moment. So we're just trying to get them so that they, they get the temp as fast as possible without overshooting. So yep. we're just having a bit of a play with that, which is why I've got a demo one in here. Just just working through it with um, the developers. So just trying to always trying to improve. Paragon have got a pretty uh, awesome policy on um, on improving since uh, the last yeah, few years. I've noticed on social media um, there's a lot more uh, prominent knife makers at the moment that are using these Paragon kilns and, oh. and putting out really good sort of feedback yeah, on them. It's chalk and cheese, mate. When you yeah. look at... Paragon made a decision a long time ago. Like, there's two players in the market. You've got Paragon and Evenheat. Evenheat are the market leaders. There's no question about it. In the States, they're the market leaders. Um, they sell more kilns than anyone else. But when you stand next to a Paragon and an Evenheat, I'm not going <coughs> to rubbish anybody. They're made to a price, right? Hmm. Paragon, a long time ago, looked at their product and said, we don't want to make a product to a price. We want to make a product that we can put our brand on and the customers will say, wow. And so yeah. they've 
they've just been going on the up and up ever since. Mm. And, you know, it hasn't been a smooth road. They've had plenty <laughs> of failures and there's some stuff that could have been better. I, I think we all know that. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, geez, all credit to them. It's like a, they haven't just stayed the same. Like, I mean, even Heat, uh, uh, they've got a place in the market for sure. But, <laughs> yeah, no, you just can't go wrong with a Paragon. Yeah. Um, in, or, you yeah. go, mate. You don't sell your knives, do you? Uh, you, I know you're getting a request for customs, and yeah. now you keep like, posting them. Like they're getting people I've, are wanting it, but you a, haven't taken a custom order, have you? I got a waiting list, mate, about fucking three years. Oh, what is it, thirty years or something? If at the current rate, there's people who want to buy my knives all over the world. Yeah, I'm about to say he's got a thirty-six month wait list, and there's only two people on it. <laughs> yeah, this I, is despite um, the hundred percent production rate of 2019. Two, just, yeah, two hundred percent on two hundred percent increase. Yeah. I just don't. No, that's fair enough. If yeah, you like. I don't want to. I don't. I I'm really in in a mental health space in the past twelve months without saying too much. I just haven't felt right, and I'm going back for a couple of years. Actually, not just the last twelve months, and I just don't really need that in my life i just yeah. i work hard enough for an a day job i get pretty good remuneration now eventually it only took me 20 years to get a decent wage but i'm there <laughs> and <clears throat> and i um that's why you saved up your holiday pay i haven't yeah, <laughs> yeah you, so you got a good enough pay rate yeah. to afford to go to the coast i don't know just work too hard my whole life and i don't no. really want my hobby to turn into a business for me and i don't yeah, fair enough too i don't want people to ring me up and say oh this isn't right or i didn't enjoy this no. about it or something and it's like if i give it to someone they say fucking thank you that's it yeah um, and that's a that would be man what a position that would be to be in where you could just hand a knife over to someone that obviously has a big appreciation for it mm. see the fucking look on their face most likely disbelief and then mm. like i said the reward is just a genuine thank you yeah i mean yeah. i'm in a position now after spending all that money on the shed and i don't fucking was a lot of money on the shed and a lot of money on the house and i borrowed it all and i don't have the money yeah um but i looked <clears> at it from the perspective of i'm gonna i'm f- i'm in my 40s right i'm gonna be dead soon Right? No, I'm it. older than you, dude, and I don't want to be dead soon. I'm going to be dead soon. Are you? Yeah. And, and you know what? For the rest of my life, I don't want to be saying, I wish I did this nah, you're 20 right. years ago. Yeah. So I just fucking did it. And my wife supported me. She got her house in a kitchen she wanted in a craft room. So it was win-win. Yeah. But we've, we've so far out now, like we could have gone out and bought a big acreage with yeah. a shed for what we spent. But I didn't want an acreage. I don't no. want to fucking mow two oh. acres of lawn. I don't even want to mow my block as it is. Yeah. The more of it that's under shed, the better. The fella that I just had on my course, just they just sold their um, property here up near Jarvis Bayway because it was on acreage. And he said, we sold that, bought a slightly larger... Silly, he said it was a silly thing in eyesight because he bought a slightly larger house but on a much smaller block because the last thing that they wanted to do... It, was go out and manage fucking a massive block of land. Mm. I look at your lawn, and I'm envious to a degree because you've got a patch of grass, but... Not um, yeah. Years, yeah, well, that's what I was going <laughs> to say. It's probably dead. dead since last time. Yeah. But years ago, here at my place, I, I tore everything out, planted native trees and put in slate pathways and crushed gravel, and I my mate rang me up one day and he said, oh, can I borrow 
your lawnmower. And I said, <laughs> you can borrow it on the proviso that you, you take it away and never bring it back. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I said, when, when you jump the fence um, to get it, you'll understand. And I, I just, I got the shits. We spent thousands of dollars setting up a fucking lawn area for my son when he was young to play on and um, drought tolerant bullshit grass yeah, died within cool. two fucking weeks and yeah. literally blew thousands of bucks on that and I had the same thought fuck that could have been a nice bloody uh, uh, grinder <laughs> what is the most stupid thing man I really don't get the lawn thing like just nah. plant something that you can use eat like yeah. veggies uh, something and man. we've got what? mate we've got dogs we're, we're, we've got two dogs we've always had dogs People go, oh, you need lawn for dogs. They shit on gravel just as well as they shit on lawn. Yeah. Mert, Mert, and if you take them for a walk, they don't fucking. It doesn't fucking worry them. You say that, Mert, but I put um, put a garden in out the front of the place, made it look all respectable. Had some ground covers and shit. Then the brown snake moved in, read up uh, at my wife, yeah, yeah. and then she's fucking flipped out. <laughs> so now I've got clo closely cropped grass all around the house. Yeah. You know, for those in America, the common eastern brown snake is the uh, second deadliest snake in the world, I think. Somewhere along that, yep. yeah. And, and know, it's aggressive. And, and they're aggressive, yeah. So you sort of don't want them living near the house particularly, um, mm. unless you're, you know, not real fond of your kids or something. So we um, we cleared it all out. I got a creek behind us and they've got the black yeah, snakes coming yeah. in and oh, it's fucking it's fun. We had these brown snakes in the golf course and we had to warn the tourists not to try to take a picture of them. Yeah, don't get and we had these Asian guys like following, like, no, 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 it'll kill you. Yeah, photo, like, no, 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 photo. They'll chase it'll you. Kill you. Yeah, they'll they'll, chase, the they'll chase you down and fucking you'll be dead. You go the other yeah. way, fucking hell. Yeah, you'll be dead before you can post it on Instagram. Yeah. So, yeah, they, um, so that was, that's my lawn sort of situation. And, and you know, the, the financial stress at the moment is pretty high. And I'm at a point now where I think I'm going to start making my knives to sell. But here's a news flash for anyone that wants one. I'm not going to sell them cheap. And no, if you I don't want them. Don't fucking buy them. I was just I, thinking when you were just sort of buttoning in. I was just thinking when you were saying that that I would say that you will be one of the rare people that I would, with the quality of the work, especially this last one I've just seen, you'd be one of the rare people that would, I think, pretty much fall straight into a high price collector. Yeah, I got avenue without having already. to spend six or seven years, you know, slowly building up your product and getting that reputation. I mean, you've you, we know because we've all talked about it. You've you've had um, Blade magazine photos. Mm. You know, make France. a knife and get that. I've got two guys in France. France, you know, I've fuck man, the, the work that you're putting into them, and I've been there and we spent the days with you, and watched you do it, and you've got the processes down. The quality of work on those barrel knives is fucking fantastic. And like, I said, nice thing for you is you're like, okay, I can always improve. I'm looking at the stuff with a fairly critical eye and, and think, fuck, that's nice. That one today was like, I didn't want to look at it too long because I was just like, fuck. I got some prints on Instagram want, uh, from Jordan wants one. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the market you want to be in, mate, where you can just say, okay, I'm going to make two a year. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to make a fucking decent amount of They're money They're going to be my best ones. Yeah. yeah. And then um, the only yeah. thing you got to do with that financial worry that you got is stop buying fucking tools. I'm fucking <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> he goes, oh, this, this I'm finally like out of debt. This of a hoarder. <laughs> yeah. Your friend, right. stop buying yeah. shit. Speaking, speaking of that, the, the rationale of a hoarder, um, <sighs> let's take a step back in time, Corin, from the Bunnings Picton that we yeah, know. Yeah. A lot of people get tied up with workshops. Like, I get people down to see mine. I've got a five by seven metre single garage, so it's like a one and a half size garage. 
with all my stuff in it. People walk in and they're mind blown and they're like, holy crap, man. It's, it is, it's a wonderland. I forget, I get blase. I walk in there and I forget it's just a workshop. Um, but they're looking and going, oh man. And it's like, yeah, but I started off in the corner of my shed with everything on wheels or everything was mobile. So before Bunnings Picton, you know, I know some people know about the story, but explain to people, um, I guess the best thing would be like Tetris or Jenga or a combination Yeah, I, I used two. to call it Shed Tetris. So mm. I had a double garage and I had a two double driveway that ran out from that and then up the side of the house because the garage site was at the back of the block, still is. And um, yeah, so, <laughs> so I had this huge space out the front and everything we do in knife making is pretty messy and dusty. And so... I had a camping trailer in there. I had all this stuff, and then I put a forge and an anvil. I couldn't move the anvil around, so I made a thing to put it on an old pallet jack that I bought on Gray's Online for 50 bucks. And um, so then I could move the anvil around with a pallet jack, and I thought, well, this is pretty good, but there's no point storing a pallet jack just to move an anvil. So then I put my forge and my gas cylinders and all my tools and stuff on another pallet with a quench tank so I could move that in and out of the garage. That was good. And then it just grew and grew. And in the end, the camping trailer was gone and I just had a shed that I could empty front to back in about 15 minutes with a pallet jack and then make a workshop in my driveway. I could hang a tarp up over it. I was having hammer-ins at my place. Mm. Did you ever come to a hammer-in? No, no, I didn't get up there for those, yeah. Yeah, early day stuff. So I was having hammer-ins at my place and I'd just set up all my grinders and things. My mate used to bring his grinder down and we'd set it all up out in the driveway with a tarp over the top and we had a ball and the shed was empty, basically. And so, and that worked really well, but there comes a point in your life where you want to be able to walk into your shop and grind for five seconds without moving four pallets. Yeah. (laughs) And I just got jack of it. And I thought, I'm just going to cull everything and then have a smaller shop um and then uh, yeah the idea struck me that i could just build a bigger shop like who wouldn't want that right so uh less space more less stuff or more space so then the the bunnings picked an idea came up and and i just um <laughs> i just thought yeah like i said before i thought why the fuck not why live the rest of my life being sort of not real happy and then the more you get that doesn't really improve your happiness I've got, I've got this fucking mortgage now so I'm not real happy about that but but at the same time I'm really I, I've got nothing to whinge about first world problem I'm really 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 happy with um, yeah the mortgage will come down and you'll still have that there yeah. and you're going to still appreciate and I'll have years of use out oh, of it in the, in, the, in, yeah, the, yeah. in the time you know yeah. and it's and it's such a such a space to come home and enter upset had a bad day, employee mm-hmm. troubles, um, miserable, <laughs> making a loss, <laughs> whatever it is, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can walk in there and uh, you can turn the air conditioning on upstairs, you can play model trains, you can you can forge, you can grind, you can do whatever you like. And the, yeah. my big problem is that I, the old adage, um, space expands to, uh, sorry, shit expands to fill the space available. Uh, I'm on my way to Melbourne, staying at Kev's place to, well, at the moment heading on to Melbourne to pick up a, a tool and cutter grinder <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I still have I was wondering why you had that big ass fucking trailer on the back of your car <laughs> I'm looking at it going 
Why are you taking stuff down to Melbourne? But no, no it's bringing stuff, stuff back. back. Yeah, right. Oh, I forgot you bought that. Yeah. <laughs> I got. I got to figure out how to get nine hundred kilos of tool and cutter grinder out of my uh, out oh. of the back of the covered trailer. I've got the crane now in the shed, but yeah, yeah. Well, you got to get it out to get. Got to get it out to get that. So I've just yeah. got to. I don't know. It's going to be sketchy as fuck, and oh, the H&S people are going to want to see. Now I know why you've invited us guys up to do yeah, barrel yeah, knives. It's, it's to move a fucking nine hundred kilo <laughs> fucking die grinder. Nine hundred kilos. Nine hundred kilos. I'll be hoisted, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't do that. We'll get that next time. Sausage man. Well, you know if there's um. The company that you've invited up to do a little bit of barrel knife stuff, I'm sure shit's gonna get real. There's fucking <laughs> yeah, fuck. We could do it like a little Superman shot. Where we <laughs> put a harness on someone, clip it onto the McVicker. back. McVicker, sh- McVicker. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll squirt him with um, baby oil. Oh fuck yeah. it. We'll, we'll, yeah, so- we'll, we'll interview Matt one one time. For the podcast, and he can he can. So, what were we talking about? What was the actual question? I'll get back on track. Oh fuck, I don't know. No, no, no. no. I I think you meant to ask you like your shed or something. Then. Oh yeah, I just went back you and said, "What did you start? What did you start with?" Yeah. So you know, we've we've. Yeah, that's what I started you know, with. And, yeah. yeah, and so it, well, I mean, I wasn't, I was, I was just a hobbyist. I was more interested yeah. in when I first started setting up my shed. I was more interested in machining and probably woodwork than it was knives, and it yeah. just all swung around and. And you know, everyone everyone listening to this has probably either got the bug or just about to, so Yeah, it happens. It happens and, and when it does, you sort of you realise nothing else is kind of important. Mm. <laughs> so you so you sell your motorbike and you sell your camping yeah, trailer yeah, and yeah, you... yeah, I've, I've, well, obviously we'll go down to the trail of future episodes. Uh, somewhere along the line we'll we'll do a bit more in depth with Mert and myself, but um I'll exp- yeah, I I had hobbies prior to knife making that I will wouldn't fucking go back to in a flying fit yeah and, and i look back and i think the amount of fucking money i invested into those things right. i could have i'd have the taj mahal of camera in workshops if i didn't spend you know quick tip don't mod, don't start modifying cars guys that's just fucking burning your money you can't buy fucking knife making gear it holds better value <laughs> at least you can resell them if you want to yeah well you trust me you modify a car and you're going to run as soon as you buy that bit and it arrives at your doorstep. You've you've lost that money. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. But I, if you buy a grinder, and twelve months into knife making, you decide, hey, I don't want to do knife making, or we're moving and I've got to clear out my shed, you're still going to get a decent amount of money for that product. And sometimes, you know, depending on what you get, if it's a collectible oh. piece of machinery, you're never going to lose money on it. Nah, nah. Oh, coin. What is your recommendation for anyone who's getting into who got the bug of making knives? Oh, just fucking let loose at Kamikaze. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, in all honesty, my recommendation is to to just reach out to to people in a respectful way, and um, reaching out to people in a respectful way without tagging them in posts and stuff like that but just hey look approaching them face to face is normally good and um asking if they if if, first of all if they would mind looking at your work and and giving you some feedback and just say tell them how much you respect their opinion and their work Hmm. so you don't come across as the guy that just you know wants you to to blow them off yeah Yeah, yeah. (laughs) no you just yeah you want and then and then if they say yes shut up (laughs) listen yeah just listen and and you know guys like um 
you know, one of my dearest friends, Key Flutter, um, you know, he's been just so good to me since I, I met him. And, you know, I made, I reached out to Keith. <laughs> I reached out to Keith when I moved into Picton because I found him, he was just up the road. And I thought, yeah. fuck, there's a knife maker. I don't, that was 2003 or something like that. So I wrote to him on an email and I never got a response. And I thought, oh, he's probably just some fucking... Cranky fuck old with. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> bing 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 bing. <laughs> and then I was my son was going to school and he said answer. my son's going to school and he said my teacher's husband's a knife maker and he said oh it's Keith Flutter and anyway I went to parent teacher interview and she said oh yeah no your son's cool he's my wonder child she said but you make knives so we got talking about knives at the parent teacher interview and she said you should come and meet my husband I said oh I sent him an email she said oh he's a luddite you wouldn't have fucking you won't yeah. get any emails. He's hopeless. He's lucky he can use a grinder because he's pretty special when it, it comes in. to technology. You love your Uncle Keith. Uncle <laughs> <laughs> Keith. Uncle Keith, we love you. And I didn't sort of take it serious because I felt a bit awkward about it, to be honest. And then it all happened. It all blew up that um, on uh, Bushcraft Oz, I was having a hammer in and I joined up on um, the other forum, Australian Blade Forum. It's a good forum. And I heard on there that... Um, Keith was having a hammering on the same weekend and I was spewing because I would have rather gone to Keith's one than my own. held your own, yeah. And so I said to him, is there something we can do? And then I said to my people, well, why don't we all go to Keith's hammering on the on the Saturday and then come to my place on the Sunday? And then um, that's what we did. And um, uh, uh, there started a, uh, a pretty good, uh, well, excellent friendship between me and mm. Keith. And actually, yeah, I was up there the other day with him as the fires came through. Yeah, I didn't realise how bad it was going to get after I left. I probably wouldn't have left. I felt like a prig, actually. We, the story, <laughs> the story goes, we so the fire was coming towards Bargo, and I rang Keith up and said, "It's coming your way, mate." He said, "Yeah, Roman's out. Um, I'm fully prepared." So I said, "All right, I'll come up and I'll come up and give you a hand, mate." And he said, "No, don't do it. Don't put yourself." I'm, you know, I said, "No, that's my choice." So I drove up there. I parked my car in the middle of the paddock and Keith's fully prepared was standing there with a fucking garden hose and, <laughs> and, and a beer. Leaves it. <laughs> fuck. I said, fuck. So I'm like... Six pack in an esky and a water hose. I said, I'm not going to stand here and wait for fucking... Wait for Armageddon. I said, oh. the smoke's blowing our way and it's the sky's gone red and I'm like, nah, this is fuck, man. So I grabbed a rake and I started raking all the leaves up from around his shop because typical fucking knife maker. Keith's got this beautiful house couldn't give a fuck oh no that can burn don't tell robin but just we've got to keep the shop up so i'm like don't want to lose my power hammer and stuff and i'm like well look at it mate i said look at all the leaves in the gutters i said we've got no hope so he's up on the roof cleaning gutters the fire's coming towards us water bombers are flying over the head the big because the coal mine's just about to go up at tarmore um as the fire front went through over there and um and so that big um what is it, 737 water bomber that they had? Yeah. That's bombing the red foam. Just just there. You know, coming yeah, just flying over cool our roof. Shit. Yeah, it's cool as shit, except you're it's scary as scary shit. Because yeah, yeah. you know you're next and no one yeah. gives a fuck about Keith's house. Like the coal mine, there's all they're going to worry about. Yeah. So I said to Keith, we're on our own. And his driveway is, oh, yeah. for anyone that's been there, it's like a kilometre through heavy, thick, thick bush. So, you, you know, like, and, and there's a timber bridge in the middle of the bush. <laughs> oh fuck so I'm doing my head in and he's like yeah no the water supply to the property is protected and I'm like yeah yeah all right. well that'll be okay well anyway so I said well let's get some wheelie bins and fill up 
every bucket and wheelie bin and bathtub you've got. So we've got water if the pe- if the water does go out. So he's like, all right, so we did that. I hosed down around his property and we moved some stuff off his back deck so we're a bit prepared for anger, ember attack and we just sort of hung around. Then about the fire comes through, we first sight of flames, I think it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, could have been a bit later, it was a fucking sketchy day. And um, it was blowing past his uh, eastern boundary. Wasn't too bad. Um, like in as much as it was coming towards his place but it was coming sort of across the wind not with the wind behind it so it was okay um, but it was burning back it was a spot fire that opened up in that scrubland um, to his if you're looking off his back deck to the right yep. down in the gully there and you couldn't get in there or do anything about it and the fireys weren't like it was the least of their concern mm-hmm. that day they were losing houses left right and centre up just up the road and um, the fireys came in and they said to him, oh, you're fully prepared. Where's your pump? Show us what you got. And Keith's like, oh, I don't have any pumps or anything. You know, I've got all this water in tanks, but I've got nothing to pump it out. And we're all just, I'm just shaking my head. I love the guy, but he's just, it's just Keith. And the fiery <laughs> looks at us and goes, well, if you make it through this one, I suggest you invest in a pump. See ya. And that was the last we saw of the fucking fire brigade. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> they weren't interested. <laughs> Hashtag Armageddon. <laughs> so that was the last we saw of the fire brigade until much later. I'll get to it. So, yeah. So then the fire's burning up to his bottom shed. And we put it out. Like, we hooked some hoses together. We still had town water at that stage. And we put out the fire down around the shed, which was the wrong thing to do. We should have let it actually burn right up to the shed. Yeah. But knowing what we know now about fires, um, leaving that little bit of bush was a problem because it caught fire later on and then burned up to the shed. And then he had to put it out. And by that time, he'd lost water because guess what? He's got exposed plastic pipe supplying the property. So anyway. Yep. Love you, Keith, but fuck, man. (laughs) Lesson learned, mate. Come on. (laughs) And, And so... The, the day's getting on and I, we're, we're, we're working pretty hard and we're both feeling it. It's getting pretty late. And then about, it was about half past 10, maybe 10 o'clock at night and the fire's coming in towards his bridge. And I'm like, Keith, I'm not gonna, we're not going to be able to get out. Like We're going to be trapped here and you've got no water supply at the bridge to fight the fire there. So we can either you know, travel down with buckets. I said, this is fucked. I said, I'm going to call triple zero, get a, get a fire truck here. So I called triple zero um, the RFS, don't think I'm knocking them. No, I'm no. not going to tell the story. I just, it was just interesting how bureaucracy can work sometimes. But anyway, long story short, the fire brigade got there as the fire hit the bridge. Literally as the fire got to the bridge and put it out there. Oh, yeah, okay. But by that time, the trees were all burning up, yep. in, up into yep. the crown around the bridge. Fuck. And they couldn't put that out. So they were like, well, we can't stay here. We've got houses burning now up at Bargo, up at... um. That was going through Balmoral. That was the first day it went through Balmoral. They said, we've got to go. Um, have fun. Good luck. And they drove off again. Fuck. So then the fire by this stage is progressing past Keith's northern boundary. It had gone all the way down the eastern boundary. The bridge was safe, but there's a big burning tree that's threatening to fall on it. Keith's safe. We've got a bit of a plan for him to be safe if anything came because he's got a big paddock then mm. we've got a car in the paddock and it, you know we've got that planned out and it's 11 o'clock at night and I said oh mate I think we've we've done a bit I think I'll, I'll duck home have some sleep and come back in the morning but I didn't count on first of all what I drove through going home 
burning on both sides of the road. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> I just thought, you know, it was night. Fires don't burn at night. Well, yeah, they do. <laughs> so when I came through the roadblocks and the fireys, I'm like, okay. So I went home and then the next morning I got up and uh, checked he was all right. The fireys had come at two o'clock in the morning. It had all flared up on the southern boundary. And anyway, we, we got talking. Robin, his wife, came and stayed at our place for the day. And we tried to get out there. We couldn't get out there um, because they weren't letting anyone in at that stage still, not even residents. Uh, and the fireys had woken up. Now that it had burnt like around his driveway, that was kind of safe access for the fireys. And because the other boundaries back onto the school, they were using it as access to fire. Ah, it was burning yeah, towards the school. Yeah. So they were using his place as a sort of a, a stop point to stop it getting into the school. So... He had the fireys there a couple more times. Lost water. Yeah, this plastic pipe burst. and <laughs> Fuck, God love him. Anyway, and um, yeah, I, I reckon he's probably the proud owner of a nice, shiny new firefighting pump by now, but probably won't need it for a couple of years. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hopefully not. Mate. Hopefully not. As he said, well, being in a bushfire with the burning back towards his shed because we had put it out and started burning there. He's running around like a dickhead with buckets of water trying to put it out from the wheelie bins we filled up. So, you know, it was kind of... Anyway, it was it was a good experience for, for all of us. Uh, he got through it. Uh, some people weren't so lucky. And, uh, you know, guys like Seth Wood, um, skin and bone no, no, knives, Dean Hamilton, he just survived. With, yeah, uh, their oh, place, there. he, fuck, mate, he was in the thick of it down there. Yeah, I think he had a full front come through yeah, where they, he was. One of the, it's, you, yeah, you develop these friendships and then you see this sort of stuff happen and you fucking do worry for your mates like that. Oh, yeah. um, one of the last posts he put up, put up on his social media, I think, before they lost all that um, access to it was you could hear the fire coming like a bloody jumbo jet. Yeah. And, and then is, you're like, yeah. Fuck, and then comms go out for five or six days. Yeah. And you're just thinking, is he alive or dead? What's happened? Yeah. So their property, he saved most of his workshop and the property had apparently had a good band of blokes down with him um, helping to get through that. I'm not even sure they're completely through it, to be honest with you. Like, there's just so much going on at the moment, it's kind of, you know, hard to keep up. But yeah, we're fortunate, like I said, and it was great to see Keith come out the other end, but fuck. Lesson learned, Keith. Come on, <laughs> don't make any of us worry like that again. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you can't. I mean, his place is always going to be like that. It's oh, it's a high risk. Yeah, yeah when the first time I went up there bush, for the yeah. for the first symposium or whatever it was, um, and had a look. Oh, oh man, I loved the place, but uh, in the back of my mind, I was like, "Fuck, you know that that that's a fucking sketchy, a spark, and you're fucked." And then yeah. we've seen that now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's well, what shits me is like, there are a lot of these fires were deliberately lit. Yeah. Mate, we're going to get... I don't give a fuck what anyone says about this. This this fucking... I work in a... I'm just going to say it, right? I work in, in the carbon fuel industry. In my industry, we all know that we're affecting climate, right? Yeah. Now, I know there's a lot of vested interests in my industry... For, for a lot of money to be spent for that not to be out there. But that's out there. I'm yeah. going to put it out there because I don't give a fuck. We know. Now, I'm driving down here today and seeing whole paddocks of trees, whole just dotted with dead trees. Trees are dying in this drought. 
we hit 48.9 degrees Celsius in Sydney, uh, in Western Sydney, um, a few Saturdays ago. That's hot as balls in American Fahrenheit. Yeah, Fuck 120 yeah. Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, in a fucking major city, we've got bushfires now burning. And that, that sure, we've had bushfires in the past. Sure, we've had hot days in the past. This has been fucking 10 weeks of bullshit. 10 weeks now of absolute bullshit fires. Bullshit smoke. It's nothing has ever been like this mm. in the history of the fucking country. Prove me wrong. Yeah. When we had the 2003 fires come through Canberra, which were fucking insane, the the smoke haze and everything after it all settled, it, it cleared. It was done. Our it was devastating. Here at the moment, because Can like Canberra being Canberra is a valley. It's a big fucking valley. It's like a bowl surrounded by mountains, small mountains for those in America. Um, so the smoke rolls in on the breeze and fucking sits here. It's bullshit. It sits here. It's, we, I'm so used to it, to the smoke in the last sort of, you know, especially six weeks or so when it's been coming in. I'm so used to it now that when I look outside and it's probably the equivalent to a third world country city pollution, I look outside and go, oh, it's a good clear day. I might take the dog for a walk. <laughs> and we know when we look at the readings, it's still 10 times above what's considered safe to breathe. And we, we, we become complacent. Mad panic to go and buy P2 masks and everything. It was funny. It was funny, again, in my perspective, sort of looking at, um, you know, Canberra bushfire crews are pretty well placed. Um, we go out and we help the New South Wales guys around our region do it. But we've always got them ready to come back and protect us. The 2003 fires are still fresh in people's memories. Yeah. And when people were putting out comments about fires, man, the amount of, like, absolute fucking panic yeah. from people. It's like... Don't panic. Be prepared. Yeah. yeah. Go out. Yeah, you know, and then they're Clean complaining. Oh, I saw a house three doors down. Don't fucking worry about that house. Worry mm. about your own house. Fuck. Stop. You know, mm. going to these mad panic things. Just, just calm down. Because those people who get on the roads when they do say, "Okay, evacuate." Fucking carnage. Mm. It'll be carnage. Yeah. And there's there's a whole lot of arguments against climate change, and I've heard of all. Oh, and yeah. I've listened to the science, and I don't give a fuck what your politics is. Listening to this, you just you just go with whatever you like. Let me tell you something though. When some fucking politician says to me, "It's the other political party's fault," <laughs> right? Yeah. And that cunt's in power, right? Wake the fuck up! <laughs> don't call me a fucking sheep for for believing in climate change, which. Wake up to your fucking self is real because you believe some fucking politician who's fucking an idiot. He's just a fucking idiot. They all are. You find me a good one and I'll give him a fucking vote. Sorry, I, it, I get and on my fucking high Every fuck, I don't even fucking, they're green, they're black, they're red, they're white, they're brown. They're all a pack of shit. They're all a pack of shit. They're not going to give a fuck. And guess what? The fucking, they're all, they're all sponsored by the fucking Coal industry, you dickheads. Don't call me a sheep because yeah. I'm... Where do you think these people's opinions come from? Because they bought the fucking property just before they turned it into a coal mine and them and their family members made how much money? Mm -hmm. It's fucking for real. It's I am just fucking jack of people getting, getting up there and saying, no, the politicians are right. Don't call people sheep because they support climate change. Everybody in the fucking... In the... In, in the, in the Fossil fuel industry knows it's fucking real. Even though a lot of money is spent to pr present a different image. <clears throat> Clean coal, you know, all this sort of good oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah? No such thing. Shit costs money. 
You this... remember you guys were like in sixties, cigarette companies were hiring hiring uh, fake doctors or doctors to say no, cigarettes don't cause cancer. They got vitamins and shit, Mert. I've seen that ad. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the camel, the 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 cigarette all doctors smoke. <laughs> Most doctors smoke. <laughs> like, wake up to your fucking selves. There is money in this industry, a fuck load of money, and the, the vested interests are not on saying this industry is bad. It's on making more money for the short term, for the greed of a few cunts. That's not even you. You're not making money out of it. You're losing the right for your children to be. And, and I, I admit, there's a whole lot of climate propaganda out there, and it, it, yeah. you know, there's a whole lot of bullshit. Yeah. I'm not saying we should super panic, but I am saying, as a fucking species, we have to admit that we are consuming 100 million barrels of oil per year. Yes, it's a small percent, just in oil, and that's just in oil. They're not coal, not gas, not all the other things that that contribute to it. It's only a few percent more per year than what the natural balance is. The natural balance is the amount that goes in from volcanoes and all this sort of shit and the amount that comes out through plant growth and stuff, which, by the way, is countersunk by the bushfires and things, but let's not worry <laughs> about that. So it's bushfires and things. That little percentage every year that we add isn't being taken up. And that's the fucking problem. Okay? And that is a cumulative thing. It's like your budget, your household budget. Right, mm. if you if you overspend and overspend, you overspend and overspend a little bit every week, yeah. you're going to end up a lot in debt. Yeah, and that's the problem. So, I don't care. You can you can believe the science or you or, or you like or not believe the science. Believe the politicians and believe the coal companies. Believe Alan Jones. Now, there's a cunt. <laughs> there's a cunt that is on the payroll, yeah. right, of the coal industry. He is literally on the payroll of the coal industry. If I hear another fucking Alan Jones listener tell me how fucking great coal is. I'll poke him in the eye. Anyway, so there you go. You've learned something about me. <laughs> well, we were looking for an in-depth view and we've was, now found I it. want my kids to be able to yeah, breathe and yeah. not live at 50 degrees. How many you years don't before want... we... Last year yeah. we hit 47 degrees in Sydney and we all yeah. went, fuck. This year we hit 49, 48.9. Yeah. Sorry, you know, I misquoted. What are we gonna, when are we going to hit 50 You don't Sydney? want the norm to be, like I was just saying, when you walk outside and see a haze and go... Oh, sweet. It's a, um, it's a clear day. I've been able to look at the sun most days I can walk outside. I'm a stickler for sunglasses. I'll fucking wear sunnies on a foggy day in winter at night, uh, even though it's not day and night. Uh, but I, I can go outside in the morning and the evening, most evenings now, and look directly at the fucking sun and look yeah. at the pretty pink colour that it is and go, wow, man, doesn't that look awesome? And then when you look away, you don't even have that burnt retina dot you got nothing you, you got look nothing at the sun. and you're looking at it going fuck man this... for the last 10 weeks you can look at the and, sun and we here like they've said in camera like we've still got we've still got fires down in the cozy area the mountain area um burning away uncontrolled and we're going to be shrouded in this fucking smoke for fucking months and months to come and again i know yes um don't get me wrong, I, I do acknowledge and I do empathise and sympathise with people who have lost um, you know, parts of their life, whether it's a home, a business or a loved one. Um, and you know, I hate talking about it because I shouldn't be complaining because we haven't had the fires, but we have also had that impact on it. Um, yes, so I guess we'll move along just for a little bit. You've got a, a trip to do. Um, 
one of one of the things I guess um, when we're talking about sort of what knife making can bring to you as you know what what can you get out of knife making um, one of the things that you and I've experienced a, a little bit together now which is always fun is um, is is travel mm. so we've all, we've, we've all done it and we might even we'll, we'll broach on it a little bit with questions for you in particular about like your favorite moments in traveling mm. particularly with knife related stuff or actually with regards to knife making and then we might do a um an episode where we just talk shit about the stuff that's happened on trips we've broke we've done it a little bit and a little bit but um you know it was a long time ago now i, I look back at time and go, fuck it couldn't have been that long ago it's a long time ago now we went to japan mm-hmm. and um we had our trip over there where you know you and i were sitting quite cozy now in my study next to each other and we we're having a laugh about right. how we've got more room here than we I have. I reckon there's an episode in the yeah. Japan trip. <laughs> I think so too. And I reckon but, we should um, have you in the involved. You, oh, and... fuck yeah. But you went to, uh, apart from the, okay, we'll make the trip, we'll make the main <laughs> trip um, an episode because we can talk about that and, and it was kind of funny. Well, it was very funny. Was but um, you also got to go, um, at that stage you went through, say, to Osaka. Um, mm. And saw a lot of stuff there. So we we in the trip we did Tokyo, Seki, and um, Kyoto. Kyoto. Following all of that awesomeness, you off you went off over to um, further off into Osaka and saw. Yeah, all my stuff highlights of Osaka were eating fucking sea cucumber oh, yeah. and fish sperm. I'd no, rather we need to. We need to. We just <laughs> need to cover this shit in the fucking episode. <laughs> we just. <laughs> there's people. There's that's people. A, that's that, a whole episode. Yeah, of there's, there's people. Right there, yeah, you can you can interview Corin and I on our trip because there's, yeah. there's people that have heard the stories in our circle of friends. Where uh, we, they, they can and, select and not to listen to that episode. They, they got the shits already with the amount of times, but. Man, Fuck. we've got to get you and on. It, It'll it be uh, precious. Yeah, we'll get Yui on as yeah. a guest on one of those things, and we'll talk. The happy about hungry that trip. dwarf. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh fuck. Anyway, yeah. let's not go there. No. There's plenty there. But it's it's yeah. a let's good talk op- about the upcoming events, guys. Upcoming we have events. The Perth show coming up in a couple of weeks. Yep. Uh, which one's coming up? Perth. Oh yeah, Perth. Yeah, we're fuck. We're trying to get our gear over there and having all sorts of trouble. The road, air, highways shut with the fires. Yeah. But anyway, we should we should be over there. Should still get some stuff over there. Couple of business cards, yeah, fuck. whatever we can <laughs> fit in the suitcase. So, um, yeah. yeah, we'll be at Perth. Um, it's a new venue from last year, yeah. bigger, brighter, better. Um, it's different. If you're listening and you got friends anywhere near that area, give them a heads up. What are the dates, mate? You're going. Well, yeah, I'm going. Right. I should, I should know yeah. better, right? Yeah, yeah, it's at the Fremantle Hotel, hotel uh, on February first and second. I'm sorry, it's in, it's in Fremantle. I'm trying to find the name of the hotel. The Ridge. Oh, look, I don't know. Yeah, look look on the website, guys. www.perthknifeshow.com.au. I'd say it might be something else. Yep. Just, um, yeah, use your Google phone. Google Perth Knife Show. Look, honestly, if you're not smart enough to find it, you're not smart enough to buy a knife or yep. come, so just... <laughs> but <laughs> if, you're around, if you're in that region and you've got people even fly in, fly out, um, tell them about it. Get them there. Yeah. We, know, we want numbers through the door. Um you know, get get people interested, come to the event, pay your 10 bucks to get through the door, whatever it is. Check out the works of a lot of really talented people. Give them a bit of feedback. Have a chat to them about it. Um, and, you know, if, if you're into knives, um, buy a knife off someone if you if you can afford it. Um, or if you're into knives, buy some gear off Corrin if you can't afford to buy a knife. Make your own. 
Um, just drop in and say hello. Like, get just in there. Get in be nice it. to know that at least this is, I think it's eight this week. Eight people that listen to our podcast are there and, yeah. and say hello. So that'd be good. I think one of those guys is on holidays. We've got seven. Yeah, we've got seven this week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, look, anyway. Um, so Perth's coming up Perth's and then up. following Perth is symposium, um, the symposium right? and masterclass with um, Kyle Royer. That thing booked out like in the blink of an eye. I think we nearly broke the internet with how fast the places on that booked. It, Apologise to anyone that missed out. There's a very limited number of people um, available on these things so that they run smoothly. Uh, it's not about getting as many people in as we can to do one of these courses. It's it's getting a fine balance between the right number to cover our costs as an association that are running these things and also making sure that the people that get on there... Um, Did you guys get on it? I'm, I'm going as a, a go gopher. Oh, yeah, right, I'm not doing hands-on. Yeah. I, I, I was going to book a spot and, oh, you know, not a martyr, but I was going to book a spot and then because I am in the KAA, um, I was like, fuck, I'll, I'll let that go to someone else. And then it just came up that because I'm local, I'll go and give a hand, do any running around that we need doing and I'll take stuff on board. And, you know, there's hopefully the guys that go and do invest in this course. If you're into, especially into pattern-welded pattern steel, Damascus um, you know hopefully the stuff that they learn from Kyle that they can then um, you know put that back out into the industry and share that amongst their peers and let that information flow through uh, and then following the symposium we won't go too far in the future but following the symposium in the first weekend in April uh, we have the Queensland Knife Show um, which is a Ipswich again but at a, at a bigger and better and nicer location that show, Mert and I were up last year. People may or may not remember live certain live feeds, um, but you know it was a cool <laughs> show. There were a lot of lot of people there, um, and one of the one of the things that the, the feedback that we got was it was so congested in that venue that it wasn't comfortable. Hey, guess what? We've invested in a, a bigger, better venue with better lighting, better space. If you went to the show and you liked it, come to the show. This year and and you'll love it. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Same for Perth. There's big money yeah. spent on these venues. Yeah, yeah. So we we invest a lot into these things. So come yeah. along and you know if we don't get the people through, it's that typical thing. We we run these events because people ask for them, but if we don't get the people that ask for them through the doors, um, forget like it. we just can't do it. You know we're, the Knife Art Association Association that runs these things, like any other. Um, enterprise that wants to do stuff we, we're limited by funds and if we keep spending money on big events and not getting a return then we just yeah we'll stop doing it we don't want to do that we want the knife art association to be a powerhouse in the world for these events um so yeah you're planning on a few things Mert. your strategy then is do your nicer stuff now and your more basic stuff um closer to the event yeah look for for probably six or eight show i tried the opposite i was finishing everything that i thought i could finish easily yeah. and leaving the the best part for the last and you know like last sydney show you were at the hotel room drinking and saying are you coming and it was eight o'clock like well i'm about to edge to blade yeah and then it was two in the morning when you came in and gave me a kiss good night i mean uh, <laughs> two in the morning when you got to the hotel yeah look this this time this time i'm finishing the Harder to make stuff first. Uh, hopefully, I'll be posting pictures of them. And the other stuff, like I made the blades. Blades are done. Sand it. And handles are done. All I have left is just to cut the shoulders, put them together. Yeah. 
Ah, good on you, mate. Good on you. So you're going to Perth again? I'm going to Perth again. Yep. Kev's going? Nah. I had a fucking shocker, mate. I, I, I booked my classes in months in advance, yeah, and I got my weekends wrong, and I booked a class in. It's no, already paid it. for. They're interstaters. It's like, oh, well. I, I was yeah. going to go over um, and uh, yeah, have yeah. A, not only have a table, but go over and prance around in my role of the president of the Knife Art Association uh, and, you know, make make Perth great again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm devastated, actually. I, I fucking I had it planned, I had it lined up, and then I went to book it in on through my calendar and was like, you fucking idiot. Uh, how'd they vote me in if I don't even know the dates of my own shows that I'm going to? But um, I'm going to be geared up in that case for the Queensland show so I'll be I'll be set for that you know Kev I have to do it because it's been a fuck Kev I say it in every episode <laughs> <laughs> I love Otherwise... what what the fuck do I do this time <laughs> no, no he said he wants to fuck yeah. Kev oh <laughs> <laughs> you not, can blame him you're not you're this show incredibly <laughs> yeah, not this show Tiger <laughs> <laughs> yeah every episode you get one of these and now you get one because you got the dates messed up oh, and no. booked a course fuck uh, you, well guys I've got to go down I've got to yeah, get you down I'm going down to Sean McIntyre's for a couple of days and I'm going to yeah, Bruce Beamish's hammering down at, down at Victoria so yeah. and I'm picking up your machine picking up your machine and so, doing that yeah. sort of stuff alright alright buddy um, great so, time with Sean so uh, I put on to the um, Facebook page when we just uploaded our last episode which was recorded yep. before Christmas it's just gone up or you would have listened to that already. Uh, but I put out there, what we're try, trialling at the moment, folks, is um, fortnightly podcasts, probably with a little more content. So we're going to go over the hour, definitely over the hour, and we're going to encroach into a little bit more time and a little bit more in-depth stuff and include a bit more, you know, hopefully useful information. We get a lot of feedback from people that, you know, our seven or eight listeners like what we're doing, so we'll try and keep it going. But we're going to go to fortnightly for now so that we can be better prepared to bring you guys content that you might um, enjoy a bit more. So please give us some feedback. Uh, we do get some stuff through. Um, we did have a, a, a fella um, post some stuff through to the Facebook, some questions, which I answered some from my perspective. Um, give us some feedback. Let us know what you want to hear and we'll go from there. But thanks very much for listening. Um, Corin can edit in. Uh, well, will have edited in any specials no, that he's no, running. Yeah, no, I We'll we'll deal with it. He's, yeah. got, he's got more to deal with on his plate at the moment than that. So, um, keep your ears posted. Jump online and have a look at the Gamico uh, bulk buys page. See what's around. And uh, yeah, thanks guys. Thanks Corin for that insight, mate. That was good. Sorry about the rants, guys. Oh fuck it. <laughs> you're passionate, you're be passionate about that's the fucking thing that's the funny thing is you get to a point like you were just saying I don't give a fuck that's the best place to fucking be in the world hmm. you know I don't give a fuck if I say shit pisses people off I'm sorry bad luck I'm not sorry you know you're allowed to have an opinion but yeah, that's yeah. what I wanted to no, say no you're allowed to deny it I mean you're yeah. allowed to sit there in your own little world it's yeah. like fucking just because you're you upset just, doesn't you just mean go, you're right you just go yeah. right ahead but yeah. you know I mean yeah. you know I don't think there's much we can do about it um, nah. 
We'll, but, we'll cover that a bit later when I get talking. <laughs> but, yeah. but we've got to accept it and put in a better air conditioning yeah. because fuck, it's coming. It might not come as quick as they say and it might yeah, not be yeah, what they yeah. say, but it's coming. Yeah. All right, guys. Righto. Take care. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening. Take care, mate. No worries. Bye. Bye.